This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Whether you're prepared or not, tax season is upon us, and the deadline to submit your 1040s and other forms will be here before you know it. The deadline this year is Tuesday, April 18th. Even if your taxes are easy and straightforward, you still might find it a chore and procrastinate. Others may have a more complicated financial situation. Coming up, we'll talk with seasoned native tax preparers about what's new with your taxes this year and what you should know before filing. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. A pair of South Dakota House bills designed to codify aspects of the federal Indian child welfare protections in state law failed to pass on Monday. One of them would have bumped up requirements for the Department of Social Services to keep Native children with their families and tribes. The other outlined placement preferences for children, regardless of race, to keep them in their communities when they're removed from their homes. Victoria Wicks reports. The bill to give first preference for foster or adoptive placements in communities did not make it through the House Judiciary Committee Monday morning, and the bill to improve DSS efforts died on the House floor later in the day. Opposition in both forums centered on an appeal currently before the U.S. Supreme Court that challenges the constitutionality of the federal equal law. On the House floor, Representative Tony Van Huysen said if the Supreme Court finds that ICWA is unconstitutional, the state will have passed potentially unconstitutional laws. So as important as this issue is, at a time when the law is in flux before the Supreme Court, I would submit that this is not the time to make this change. We should wait and see what happens and consider a law like this next year. The case, Holland v. Brackeen, questions if preferred placement of Native children with Native families or tribes is race-based rather than political, and if the federal government, by directing state courts to take certain actions, violates anti-commandeering principles. Representative Perry Poirier is the prime sponsor of both bills. She argued against Van Huysen's contention. We have nine tribal nations We have citizens of those tribal nations that are South Dakotans. This is not a race-based law. As for the other aspect, Perrier said the issue there involves federal commandeering of state procedures. She said the state is allowed to commandeer itself by passing these bills. For National Native News, I'm Victoria Wicks in Rapid City, South Dakota. The Yorok tribe is sponsoring a day at the Capitol on Tuesday in Sacramento to address missing and murdered indigenous people. Frankie Myers is vice chair of the tribe. We're really looking to help highlight the need for better tribal engagement with the state process and more engagement from the state and really raise the awareness of MMIP issues here in in California. He says tribes are taking a holistic approach to address MMIP in the state. We have to make sure that our people are protected. How we make sure that this stays Um, in the focal point of our state partners is continuing to make sure that we're progressing forward with legislation and budget amendments that actually will make change to this epidemic. Meyer says three pieces of legislation they're advocating for would do just that. One involves seeking $200 million added to the governor's budget to address MMIP. The other two bills involve public safety and protections for young people in the foster care system. 
Montana tribes are among tribes receiving federal water settlement funds, which were announced last week. Aaron Bolton reports the funding comes from an infrastructure bill passed by Congress last year. The Interior Department is allocating $460 million in order to meet the federal government's financial obligation to tribes across the country with water compacts. Another $120 million will go toward the Reclamation Water Settlement Fund. The Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes in northwest Montana will receive the largest disbursement at nearly $157 million. The tribes have the largest water compact in U.S. history at $1.9 billion. Funding will also flow to other Montana tribes, including the Blackfeet Nation and the Crow Tribe. For National Native News, I'm Aaron Bolton. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. A historical master trauma class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 24, 2023 at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The bad news is, many of you looking for a big tax refund this spring will see a much lower number than last year. The good news, if you can call it that, is that the tax breaks are merely returning to normal levels from before the pandemic. We are in the three-month time frame between mid-January and mid-April when most people are preparing their federal and state income tax returns. For some people, it's a pretty standard affair with forms, schedules, and attachments all fairly consistent from year to year. For others, tax filing is more complex. Today, we'll talk with some Native tax pros with insights specific to Native filers. Whether you're a salaried or hourly employee, a self-employed gig worker, a small business owner, or retiree, we'll have tips and strategies to help you file a low-stress and accurate tax return. Call in today with your tax questions, 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us now from Bellingham, Washington, is Sunny Guillory. She's the Financial Literacy Coordinator at Northwest Indian College and a Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Site Coordinator. And she's a member of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. Sunny, welcome back to Native America Calling. Hi, good morning, uh, Sean. Thank you for having me this morning. It's a pleasure to have you on the show again, Sunny. And the 2022 tax season officially kicked off just a couple of weeks ago. Any major changes we need to pay attention to compared to previous tax years? So this year, a lot of the taxpayers are um, or will have been in for a small surprise. And so um, yesterday was our kickoff for the tax season. And um, a lot of the taxpayers are asking questions. Why is my refund less this year than it was last year? 
And so in the 2021 tax season, um, it was under the, when it was during the, under the American Rescue Plan, they had increased the child tax credit from 2000 to 3000 so $3,000 for every qualifying child that was under the age of six. And then for any children or dependents under the age of 18, um, taxpayers received $3,000 per okay. dependent. Now, Sunny, so were those, was, I'm sorry, were, were those those um, those advanced tax credits that a lot of folks uh, received as monthly payments back in 2021? Is that what we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, so back in 2021, so from July to December, um, you had to opt in or opt out. And so if you opted in, they received half of their tax credits from July through December, which was six months of payments. Or... If you opted out, it just meant that that refund for that year was going to be a larger amount. And so um, those have now since gone away. So for the 2022, which is this tax season and next tax season, it's going to go back to the 2000 per dependent or per child tax credit. It's going to be for 17 and under. So last year it was 18 and under, this year it's 17 and under. And so those are some of the changes that are impacting families' tax refunds. And so when taxpayers come in, they're anticipating the larger refund that they received last year. And that's probably the biggest change that we're seeing with people's tax returns this season. Okay, so a lower child tax credit, also um, fewer dependents will be able to qualify as well since they've dropped the age from 18 to 17, right? Yes, yeah, 17, uh, yep, under 17, yep. So last year it was if you were under 18, this year it's if you're under 17. And then for um, Washington State, I don't know how many of your listeners are from Washington State, but Washington this year has a working families tax credit. And so um, if if they qualify, and in order to qualify, you just have to have lived in Washington a minimum of 183 days, um, at least age of 25 or under the age of 65 years of age. And um, if you have no children and you're a single person, you'd have to make 16480 or less. And if you're married and no children, it's $22,610 or less, but the maximum refund is 300 and I'll say for the typical family, if you have like two children um, and you're married and you make under $55,000 or $529, the maximum refund is $900. And then those families that have three or more dependents, they could potentially receive $1,200 back in the working families tax credit. And that's okay. for the Washington State. Washington I don't State. Know, yes. Now, is that in any way related to, to some of the COVID assistance there at the state level, or is it just completely separate? It's, I think the, um, the Washington Families Tax Credit is, is um, basically to help offset the cost that many families are having to face during okay. this pandemic with the increase of gas, increase of food costs. Um, there's just so many um, factors and even like the um, utilities, energy expenses, it just seems like there's been across the board increase in just the everyday living, basic living expenses. And so um, the working families tax credit is a way to help some of our families in Washington State offset some of those expenses. 
So even though many of these federal COVID stimulus benefits and tax breaks, they've expired, like you're mentioning here, the state of Washington, there's still some COVID-related assistance that might factor into this year's tax return. Uh, And I'm also thinking perhaps uh, for some folks, there could be some tribal COVID stimulus benefits that could apply to perhaps? So I think um, a lot of our tribes, I know it depends on each tribe from each region. I think each tribe has had a different um, different way they approached their, you know, COVID funds. I know some tribes, it's like they really put an emphasis or focus on, you know, taking care of their families or the families that were, you know, sick or ill during COVID or maybe they even caught COVID. And then some tribes, you know, they did uh, like payments to their tribal memberships to help offset those costs. And so, um, yeah, and we're still, and and I I tell families, I'm like, we're still working through, even though the pandemic, it seems like it's kind of over, we still are, we're still kind of working through the, the aftermath or the after effects of what you know, COVID brought to our economy and then to the families, how it impacted families. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but that's probably the biggest change that I will see with families this year as we're preparing taxes. And so this is year eight for our VITA site and VITA stands for Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Site. And we are sponsored by the IRS. And so what that means is that the IRS provides us like the software that we use, tax layer, we can use it for free. They provide it as long as we do a minimum of 50 returns every tax season. And they provide us with all the training materials and pretty much everything that we need to um, offer this free tax prep um, service to the communities here in the Whatcom County, but we primarily we serve a lot of the Lummi tribal members and also the Northwest Indian College students. And um, first year we had probably 55 tax returns that we completed, and this is year eight. I think last year we were around 200 tax returns, and mm. so we've seen definitely have seen a growth over the years. But I did want to um, encourage if there is a tribal community that might be listening or community members. Um, the how when we set up our site, it's volunteer based, and of course, you know, if your employer organization would support, you know, you and your recruitment of volunteers to offer this free service for the community, it's definitely worth it because a lot of our taxpayers, if you go to a paid preparer, you know, H and R Block or you know, Liberty Tax, so there's a lot of different paid preparers out there. They charge you per form, and so a lot of our taxpayers will. Share, like two years ago, I paid $300 to get my taxes done, or I paid, you know, $480 to get my taxes done. And so having this service available for the community at, at free where they don't pay anything at all, it's just a huge way that we get to give back to um, the community that we serve. Okay. So I definitely want to put a pitch for those type of communities that don't have free tax sites really strongly consider it. It sounds like a great service. And as you mentioned, you know, the prices that some folks might pay to get a a paid tax preparation business to handle the return. Now, Sonny, uh, it is free, but there are income eligibility requirements for VITA, aren't there? There are. We do meet, uh, we do serve like a certain 
there's a threshold. However, we generally don't turn away tax. I mean, we don't turn away taxpayers. And so ideally, we want a very, very small percentage of our, you know, families that were, are like, say, in higher or moderate income brackets. We don't necessarily turn them away, but oftentimes a lot of our families that are in the higher or moderate income brackets, you know, they're either doing their taxes themselves or they're okay with paying a preparer because maybe their their tax situation might just be a little bit more complex. Folks, we're talking now with Sunny Guillory, and she is a financial literacy coordinator and a volunteer income tax assistance site coordinator, volunteer income tax assistance, often referred to as VITA. And she's up in Bellingham, Washington at Northwest Indian College, and she's telling us a little bit about what uh, the benefits are for having your taxes uh, completed and facilitated through a VITA service, such as the one that Sunny manages up there at Northwest Indian College, and she's also providing tips and strategies so that we can make the most of tax season. It can be a stressful time. It can be a challenging time, but it sounds like if uh, we follow some simple steps and stay on top of it, it doesn't have to be that big a deal. It doesn't have to be that hard or that difficult, and anyone with any questions, if you've got specific issues this tax season, or you have questions about some of these credits we're talking about, like the child tax credit or the earned income tax credit, or some of these educational credits that are available, give us a call. 1-800-996-2848. We've got answers for you on Native America Calling. 1-800-996-2848. The deaths of unarmed people of color at the hands of police continue to erode the trust in police. More and more, video is telling the story that Native advocates and others have claimed for decades. But there are some stories of hope as well. We'll talk about what law enforcement officials can do to restore trust in police on the next Native America Calling. My precious relatives, don't miss your Medicaid renewal letter. Make sure you get this renewal letter so that you're not left out in the cold. Check that your local Indian health care provider or state Medicaid office has your current mailing address. For more information, talk to your local health care provider or visit medicaid.gov unwinding, a message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services.
We hope you're enjoying today's broadcast of Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Tax day this year is Tuesday, April 18th. Are you ready to file your tax return? Do you have questions about the earned income tax credit or the child tax credit? Did you receive any direct payments from your tribe, such as per capita dividends or COVID-19 assistance money? Tax season doesn't have to be a headache, people. If your tax questions or issues uh, come up, please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're speaking with Sonny Guillory now at Northwest Indian College. And and Sonny, before break, you were talking about the VITA program that you manage and uh, the services they provide. And I'm just curious, you know, for folks that are interested, communities that would be interested in starting a a VITA program for themselves, what all is involved with that? How long does it take to get a program up and going? How much training is required? Uh, What all does that entail? Sure. And so I would say um, when we first started our VITA site, it was just, you know, finding community members who would who were willing to help volunteer. And so at your site, generally, you would need at least two preparers because with the IRS guidelines, you have to have one who's preparing the taxes. And then the second person would do a quality review. So they go through what you prepared and they just double check to make sure you didn't transpose any numbers that, you know, you didn't miss a refund or you didn't miss a, you know, a tax break or deduction or an adjustment. They just make sure that everything's there. And once it goes through the quality review and it's approved, then you can send it off. So to have a tax site, you at least need two people. And then there's also different certification levels. So if you're just going to be doing basic tax returns, there's a basic certification test that you have to pass. And then if you're going to move into more advanced tax returns or you want to prepare advanced, then you have to take an advanced certification. And you okay, have Sonny, to I'm sorry, certify. real quick, real quick. So like a, a basic tax return, would that be just somebody like just taking a standard deduction and, and maybe just like one yes. job or something like that? Okay. Yes, exactly. And then for advanced, that might be individuals who are, you know, looking at maybe even itemizing their tax return or maybe they have like a they're a contractor on top of their regular employment and so they might have like a schedule c and so there's different levels of certification and so um and then another person that you might need at the site would be a greeter and that person every person has to go through like a volunteer standards of conduct training and we have to take a test on it and I'm trying to see if there's anything else. The only thing that I really enjoyed about the partnership is that we really get to have a say over when we're open, what hours we're available to serve the community. Like the, the IRS doesn't dictate and say, you guys need to be open on the weekends or you have to be open on the evenings. And so we we know what's best for the population that we work with. And so we kind of get to pick if we want to be open one day a week, great. If you want to be open two days a week, but at the beginning of the, before the tax season begins, you enter into like a partnership and you outline all of your specifics of your site prior to opening the site. All right. Really helpful information. Absolutely. Um, Well, let's go ahead and bring in another uh, guest uh, on our show today. Joining us from Lodgegrass, Montana is Luella Bryn. She's been a volunteer tax preparer since 2016 through the Chief Dullknife College Extension Services, IRS, Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program. Luella is Absulaka, and she's been on the show before. 
Luella, welcome back. Hey, how's it going? It's going great, Luella. Uh, you know, like we mentioned earlier, tax season can be a chore and a stressful time for some. What can we do to make filing as easy and painless as possible? Well, as a as a you know longtime preparer, I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they forget to track any work-related mileage or work-related expenses, especially if they're contract workers, seasonal firefighters, you know, anyone who's getting a 1099, um, it's really important to track work-related expenses and work-related mileage. And that would be the mileage from when you actually get to work and during work hours. It doesn't include mileage going to and from work. Okay. And with so many more people working, you know, freelance type of gig work, uh, I know that's more common, people getting 1099s. And, and Luella, what's the best way to, to, to track the mileage? I mean, like keep a little notebook in your car? Are there apps? How do we actually just keep track? Because that's, for me, that's the hard part is like, okay, I keep track of my mileage. But then, you know, I go here, I go there, I drive there. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to just keep track of that stuff. That are available free mileage tracking apps. Um, Mint from Intuit, I believe they're Intuit. Um, they actually have a really good um, self-employment software system, and their their app has mileage tracking on it as well. And you know that would be a business expense that you can write off. So even though there is a monthly subscription tied to that, it's an expense that you can right up in your taxes when you come to file. Okay. And Luella, I know a lot of people also earn a little bit extra money using what we call these these gig apps like eBay and Fiverr. And there's even one called Patreon that allows content creators to sell services online. What do these types of folks that, that earn money through these gig apps, what do they need to be mindful of around tax season? They need to make sure that they're getting their um, tax form. I believe it's a 1099-K um, for those kinds of um, for like programs. Um, but yeah, make sure that you have the most accurate one. I actually got my Patreon tax form, and then two days later they sent me an updated one because it was the wrong information. So make sure you're getting the most current information before you go into the tax office and make sure if so if you're a content creator make sure that you're keeping track of any expenses related to that work as a content creator because when you file it's going to be filed directly with that schedule a okay and then what Okay, gotcha. And then what happens if uh, if you do some contract work or, or you have like a gig app kind of thing going and they don't send you a 1099, or they send you a 1099, but it has the wrong information, like the wrong total of what you earned. Make sure, if well, if you're getting wrong totals, you have to call the HR department of wherever you worked, whoever your contract was with, or the payroll department, and make sure you get that situated before you file. It's easier to do than filing wrong and then having to file an amendment. And if you don't get a 1099 from a contract work, then you probably didn't qualify. Um, There are certain income levels. So up to a certain amount of money, they don't send you a 1099, so you don't necessarily need to claim. You can still claim that income and any expenses related to it, but you'd have to go by your, your contract 
or your pay stubs. Okay. Now you mentioned the the expenses, like for somebody who's working on their own. Uh, is that where the Schedule C comes in? Like if they have expenses for like buying supplies or maybe a little advertising, getting business cards or something like that. Yeah. So I had a client last last season who was a truck driver. He was um, kind of a short haul truck driver, and he had to buy boots. He had to buy high vis equipment. He had to get a hard hat because when he was loading and unloading, he had there were all these requirements. And so um, he was able to actually get money back because of all the money he put in on his Schedule C. So he had so, so many big, expenses, deductible expenses yeah. that he was, wow, that's awesome. They kind of outweighed his income and then he may, actually made the choice to not work with that company again because he, he spent more than he made. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Luella, here's another situation that, that seems like it could create a lot of challenges for folks. What happens if, if two parents each claim the same child as a dependent on a tax return? Most, well, I said most cooperating parents have a parenting plan. So oftentimes tax requirements are are outlined in the parenting plan. If that is not the case, or if grandma has the kids and mom and dad aren't around, um, whoever has um, physical custody and is providing for more than half of that kid's um, livelihood, they're entitled to claim that child. I've seen cases where parents will claim for six months and the other parent will claim for the other six months. So, uh, you know, I guess it, it all depends on how rocky or smooth your relationship is with your ex. But there are ways that both parents can claim the child if they share custody. Okay. But they have to sit down ahead of time and come up with a plan that they agree on to make sure it goes smoothly, it sounds like. Yeah. And if it doesn't go smoothly and and parent X claims the child that parent Y is actually taking care of, then parent Y can file with the IRS and parent X will have a huge penalty. Okay. And parent Y will be asking why, why IRS? Why did it work out this way? Something like that. Maybe I don't know. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Luella, another thing that, that I think just really scares people and myself included is the risk of an IRS audit and and how common are audits like with some of the, the taxpayers that you assist? In uh, vital situations, a lot of times I don't see full audits. I'll see situations where people need to verify a form or verify a document uh, about, you know, how much they earned. And that's pretty rare. And actually in Montana, where we are, the VITA system, the whole um, volunteer network had less errors in tax returns than state preparers across the state. Oh, that's good news. And uh, earlier we heard Sonny mention how, you know, they have checks and and controls and and another person goes over the tax return after the first person puts it together. So I imagine that helps. And Sonny, I want to bring you back into the conversation as well. And and do you ever have to deal with audits? And if so, are are they a hassle on behalf of taxpayers? I would say um, similar to what, Luella was sharing is that it 
usually a taxpayer might come back and say, oh, I received this letter from the IRS, and it might be um, just show proof that you're eligible to claim, you know, your children, which let's say this taxpayer has been claiming them for like the last three or four tax season. And I'm, I can't say for certain that that's part of the audit process, but it just, in my mind, I'm like, how, why would you not be able to claim them? And so it's just a simple process of them either providing school records, medical records, or any documentation just to show that they lived with you at your residence more than 50% of the year, and then that you provided more than 50% of the care to take care of them. And so, um, but I, I did want to chime in where I have seen a taxpayer where the spouse and the, you know, the husband and wife where they were divorced. And so they had an agreement, you know, mom got to claim them on even years, dad on, on, you know, odd years. And the father decided, you know, I'm going to go ahead and claim them, even though I know it's not my, my time to claim them. And he had filed his taxes before she did. So when we went to send it or e-file it, um, it came back saying that her children or the dependents on her tax return had already been claimed by another taxpayer. And so I explained to her that um, she's going to have to either mail in her tax return if she's going to claim the children with the, I guess, divorce decree or however outlined that, you know, you're even, I'm odd, you know, however that works. But I think ultimately what she ended up having to do was go back through her court process, you know, how they figured out the details between their parenting and the judge ordered that she got to claim them for two years in a row and then get them back on track. Okay. And, but it took the judge's order or to, I guess, legal order to, I guess, get them back on the same, the same schedule. And so it's just, and, and most of the time the IRS, they, they choose, they try not to intervene in those types of issues. I mean, the only way you can really prove that, is through the documentation, the legal documentation, the paperwork, and whatever's issued through your court or your proceedings or whatever. Well, it, it sounds complicated. Uh, sounds like a big hassle, but glad in that case, it sounds like it worked out for the best, Sonny. Let's go to the phones now. Listening in Albuquerque, New Mexico on KUNM, we have Clifton. Clifton, hello. Hello, hey. Uh, I was just curious um, about uh, things that people might not consider as deductible. Uh, you know, I work in communications, and of course we all work on the computer, so anybody, uh, uh, at least I'm pretty confident I can deduct things like my cell phone and my internet, but in my business I actually also get to deduct my cable bill uh, because I'm in media and communications, and therefore studying media is a legit thing I have to do. So anyway, I just wanted to pose that as uh, maybe see if uh, you know you guys have other ideas about things that people don't consider but that are deductible expenses. Thank you. Yeah, great call, Clifton. And Luella, I'd like to go ahead and have you field this one. Clifton has a question about folks that, that work in media or other types of um, jobs where you know, they're using cable, they're using internet, maybe even like magazine subscriptions and things like that, all tools or resources that they use uh, to do their work. What can they deduct? Yeah. As long as you're legitimately using something for work, you can claim it. So if I am a freelance 
you know, contract researcher and I had my microscope broke and I had to get it repaired, I can claim that. Or if, like I mentioned earlier, if I'm a truck driver and I have to buy new boots that are required of my job, that you can claim. Um, I work in journalism, so my, my internet, I can claim. Home office space, you can claim. There's a whole formula on how much office space you can claim as long as it's dedicated to work. So um, just you know, keep in mind that if you legitimately use it for work, you can claim it. Okay. Keep your receipts. All right. But like, uh, you know, if I want to like take my Sports Illustrated subscription or something like that, uh, <laughs> sounds like I might have a hard time using that as a deduction since it doesn't directly apply to my work, maybe. Would that make sense, Louis? Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, unless unless you're a sports reporter or a sports yes, um, social media content creator or then it would apply. But as a host of Native America Calling, I don't think the national sports conversation is going to qualify for you, sorry. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. Oh, geez. Well, I'm going to maybe think twice then about that Sports Illustrated subscription. Uh, this is a really interesting show today we're having, and we're learning a lot. I'm learning a lot about taxes, and I hope uh, all of our listeners are as well. Any questions regarding your own tax issues this year or any questions about filing deadlines? Uh, remember, though, just please check with uh, your own tax professional about how to fill out your forms and what deductions to take. Uh, remember, this show today is for educational purposes, uh, so be mindful of that, right? Always check with a tax pro or perhaps one of these Vita sites like we're talking about today. We're going to take a short break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This Valentine's Day, you can give all your sweethearts truly unique gifts from SweetgrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Support by Strong Hearts Native Helpline, providing no-charge confidential support and resources to Native Americans affected by domestic and sexual violence 24-7 at 1-844-7-NATIVE or StrongHeartsHelpline.org.
You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Are you one of the many Native people who earn a living as a freelancer or a self-employed artist or craftsperson? If so, your tax return will look a little different than someone who works a regular 9-to-5 job. And if you've got questions about how to file your taxes, we've got answers today. Just give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Uh, we're joined right now by Sonny Guillory up at Northwest Indian College and Luella Bryn, who is a volunteer tax preparer at Chief Dullknife College in, in Montana. And Luella, earlier, you know, you were talking about what types of things are legitimate deductions. And we joked around about like a Sports Illustrated subscription. But I'm curious to know, I mean, how does the IRS find out if you are legitimately using something? I mean, how, how do they actually prove or do you prove that something is a justifiable business expense? That's where your preparer comes in hand. Like, that's the preparer's job is to make sure that what you're deducting is actually legitimate. And if if you can legitimately convince them that you yes you do use that Sports Illustrated for your job, then they will allow it. Um, if it gets red flagged by the IRS, you'd have to make that same argument to them. But um, your preparer is kind of like that first filter. Um, and if something's a little too absurd, they'll they'll let you know. Okay. Well, it sounds like in a lot of these cases, uh, it's kind of an honor system too. Like you just uh, the IRS takes your word for it, but uh, if something comes up uh, and they do an audit or, or they want to check into more information, uh, you got to have those records in good order. It sounds like. Let's uh, bring in another voice to our conversation now. Joining us from Lapway, Idaho, is Phyllis George. She is also a VITA tax preparer. She's Nez Perce. Phyllis, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. You bet. Phyllis, what are some issues you encounter when assisting folks with their taxes that might lead to problems down the road? Okay, I just wanted to add something to the uh, expenses that you can add to your return. It has to be usual and customary. Um, you can't You can't include... Uh, your sports magazine if you owned a uh, beauty shop. I mean, you know, it's got to be something that's usual and customary. Okay. Usual um, and customary. Like you can't um, add a, a, a machine or something. It has, just has to be usual and customary to what you're doing. Right, right. That's, got it. Okay. Another issue that comes up here on, the, on our reservation is people have a, you know, the law doesn't require you to file taxes. If you're single and under the age of 65, you don't have to file unless you make at least $12,950. But if you have federal taken out, um, you have to, you can file to get that money back. That's that's in box number two on your uh, W-2 form. Okay. So if you, if you have, if you made under $12,900, and you have money in box number two, you can file to get that back. The only thing is if you were to go into have a H um, and block or some other other source um, do your taxes, whatever's in box number two might be eaten up by the fees that they're going to charge. But VITA doesn't have a fee, so you would get the total money back. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. And then Phyllis, what about like a retiree or seniors, perhaps uh, they might not make a lot of money or maybe they don't even have any earned income during the year. What about those folks? Should they still be filing their returns? And if so, what do they need to be paying attention to? Okay. Um, it, it depends on whether or not um, I always look to see if they had any federal withheld on their Social Security form. If they have federal withheld and they still did not make enough money, they can still file to get that federal back. Okay. All right. So to really take uh, pay attention to those 1099s then that come in uh, for Social Security benefits and perhaps other types of retirement benefits as well. Phyllis, here's a, another question um, I, I have in... I, I know that ordinarily, if a person uh, wants to claim any charitable contributions, in the past, they, they had to file an itemized return, and that's a lot more complicated than just the basic standard deduction. But last year, I, I know even someone with the standard deduction, they could take a, a small deduction for certain charitable deductions and donations. Does that still apply this year, do you know, in 2022? It does not. That one was uh, a special because of covid Okay, so that could be one of the reasons as well, perhaps, that folks might get a, a smaller refund this year than last. It depends. Okay. Phyllis, what about filing a state return? I think sometimes people think of that as kind of an, an afterthought, but, but what should folks space, excuse me, pay special attention to for their state returns? Okay, um, state returns are a little bit different. The state of Idaho, we file state return even though we do not have to file because if you live on the reservation, you're exempt from paying state taxes. But we have what's called a grocery credit of $120 that we receive. Um, but you have to file to get that. And also, too, like in California, they have renter's credit. Each state has different um, credits that you can file for. But if you were to go into H&R Block or any place else, if you were to try to file for that um, credit, our, our food credit that we call here is grocery credit, the fees would take away that credit if you had to file. So when you file here with me, with VITA, you get the whole $120 back. And sometimes that's the only thing you do get back because we put the total salary received, like if it's $30,000 of your total income, we put that in a, a line item that where it's exempt and uh, it's exempt from filing. So it doesn't get, we just, it's just exempt. Okay. It doesn't get taxed. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's exempt. Phyllis, what about if a person owes tax uh, instead of getting a refund? What do they need to do to avoid that? Because that can be a really unpleasant situation to have a, a big tax bill at the end of the year. They need to um, adjust their withholdings um, because that's 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 the reason why they owe is because they don't take out enough federal. Okay, so they would then just tell their employer that they want to take a, a larger amount of withholding Whatever out from their, their uh, W four uh, shows. They need to, um, there's a line on the new W-4 that's so complicated, but on line, I think it's four or something, you can ha add additional withholding, like maybe $50 each paycheck or 25 or whatever they want to include. But uh, that would help them to keep them owing, but it all depends on their W-4. 
Okay. And then in the event that, that somebody does owe at the end of the year, what's the process like for paying back that tax? Oh, heavens. I would beg bar still to pay it back because you don't want to pay interest on interest. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I don't, I have never run into that problem, but I would, um, I would definitely uh, do the best to uh, get that paid off as soon as possible because the IRS will not leave you alone until it's paid. And it just keeps on adding up the service charge, the the late fee, the interest. It just keeps adding up each month. Okay. So definitely probably just reach out. When you know that's a situation, reach out rather than just not connect with IRS. Start those communication channels because uh, I know what they can't stand is when people just don't communicate and don't tell them anything. So good information there, Phyllis. Let's go back to the phones Listening in Anchorage, Alaska on KNBA is Lynette. Lynette, good morning. Good morning, Sean. And I had a question for your guest. Um, I had gotten COVID money from my tribal organization, and I know that the Native corporations, Alaska Native corporations, also helped out. And I just had a question if we owe money to the federal government because we got that COVID money. All righty. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and let Sunny respond to this. Sunny's up in the Pacific Northwest, and I think she has some some familiarity with perhaps folks that receive benefits through uh, Alaska Native Corporations. Sunny, uh, can you answer Lynette's question regarding COVID money paid by, by an ANC? Yeah, I was going to say it depends. It's like I I always like have to first preface it that without seeing the documents that she signed when she received the COVID funds, because many tribes, when they did issue COVID or money that was tied or associated with COVID, a lot of the applications or even the paperwork that we submitted, it was like saying that um, the money that you received was going to be used specifically for, and you had to like say which areas that you were going to use your COVID funds, whether there was an increase in um, utility or food costs because all of your kids were now at home, they weren't like in school, or if you had to purchase internet because your kids were doing distance or on, you know, doing um, learning over Zoom. And so we just had to provide these areas um, that you were going to be utilizing and it fell under and and I want I want the other tax preparers to weigh in because it might be different from tribe to tribe or region to region. But is it is it the um, the tribal general welfare? Is it an exclusion? Okay. Act that something that it would fall under, which would mean that you wouldn't have to pay taxes on it. But each member when you did your application or when you received the check you should have like signed agreeing kind of to the terms of the money and whether again you go back to the honesty system is like whether families once they receive the the money it's like i would say probably in most or if not all cases a lot of families did face um, additional hardships because of the pandemic because if you didn't have internet prior to, but now your kids are having to do online school. And then also just the increase of food costs, because a lot of us, we send our children to school and they participate like in the school lunch program, but now you're having to cook at home three meals a day. And there was just a lot of additional 
And then being at home, you know, 24-7, it's like having the additional heat cost because you're keeping your house warmer than normal and using more of your water. And so there's just all those different types of um, hardships okay. that came with the pandemic. But okay. I would let other people weigh in to see what they have to say. Okay, yeah, we'll do. Phyllis, anything to add to this uh, issue regarding tribal COVID money and taxability? Okay, as far as I know, they're, they're, they're paid on a grant that was submitted and those are not, in our case, they're not taxable. Okay. In your case, they're not taxable. But again, folks, uh, some of these more specific questions, you probably want to maybe check with somebody local, like a local Vita site or something like that. Let's go back to Luella. And Luella, earlier you talked about uh, like a home office expense, a uh, deduction for that if you work out of your home. And how do you determine like what percentage of your house or even your utilities you can deduct for for your work at home? Your tax, if you go to a tax preparer, they'll have a formula in their manual. And if you don't go to a tax preparer, if you do your taxes at home, you'll have to go and download the IRS tax manual yourself. And it's a very specific formula based on how big your house is and how much space is required for a home office and how much space you actually have in your home office, whether it's more or less than the required amount based on your square footage. So okay. it's very specific and um, it, it tends to change every year. Okay. Every well, few it sounds, years. So your preparer will know how to do it. Okay. And, and it sounds like, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to like say, oh, I'm using three quarters of my house for my business or something like that. It has to be within reason. Uh, Phyllis, any examples of um, how folks take the the home office uh, deduction and how they determine exactly what percentage of their house is dedicated to that space? Okay. That would be like she was saying, it depends on the uh, square footage of what you use. And let's say it's like 10% of the home that you use, just a corner or whatever, okay? And so what that means is you can only take 10% of the uh, Wi-Fi or 10% of your phone, 10% of all your expenses that you use at home that also uh, is connected to the house. But the other things like a computer and stuff like that, you can do that at 100%. But it's the stuff that's used in your house is, is the, where you have to break it down. Okay. Stuff that applies to both your personal life and your work life, it's, it yes. sounds like. Okay. Phyllis, um, and if someone can't meet the April 18th filing deadline, how big a deal is it to get the extension? What all goes into that? Okay, it depends. It depends on whether or not they're, they owe or if they're going to be getting a refund. If they're going to be getting a refund, the IRS doesn't care whether you file or not because it, it's their money, okay? But if you owe them, it's, they're going to start getting a penalty fee when you, when you do file. So there'll be late charges also, just like if, you know, you just didn't pay your taxes when you did file. Okay. Now, one thing I have noticed, though, even if IRS doesn't care if you if you file on time, if, if you're getting a refund, they do pay interest, though. If uh, if you file a, a late return with a refund, they will pay you interest on that, I've learned, which is pretty cool. Too, if, you, if you get questioned by the IRS, they will also pay you interest, and you have to claim that next year on your tax return. Oh, geez. Okay. Uh, and, and then, Phyllis, the extension uh, for the IRS, does that also apply to the state returns? No. The state's return is, uh, is, uh, 
state thing. It's different from the IRS. Okay, so we'd, we'd have to file two separate uh, extension requests, or in, in some cases, can, can they ever just file one request and it can transfer over to the state? No, but sometimes the IRS and the state do talk to each other, depending if the IRS, you owe a lot, the um, state may get a hold of the IRS, and if you're going to get a big refund from the state, they may this, the, the IRS may take it. Okay. Interesting. Interesting information today. We have now reached the end of our hour. Big thanks to Native tax gurus Sonny Guillory, Luella Bryn, and Phyllis George for sharing their time and expertise to help us navigate tax season. And remember, tax day this year falls on Tuesday, April 18th. Join us on Native America Calling again tomorrow when we'll discuss insights and solutions for how to bridge the trust gap between Native communities and law enforcement agencies. Until then, I'm Sean Spruce. As people seek to know diverse cultures, tribal museums and cultural centers grow more popular. So the Institute of American Indian Arts, who support this show, now provides a Master of Fine Arts in Cultural Administration. Focused on social equity and support of cultural community growth, this program combines administrative tools and techniques with socially engaged leadership, blending institutional skills and community outreach programming. Deadline to apply is February 15 at iaia.edu slash mfaca. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.